Dr. Mitchell, thank you for being here this morning. I knew and loved Jimmy as well, and uh, we are sure praying for your family. Well, at the end of the 20th century, the rage in the church was seeker-sensitive services. And the pioneer of the movement was Reverend Bill Hybels, pastor of Willow Creek Church in Barrington, Illinois. Bill did not have a seminary degree, but he had a degree in marketing, and he knew what sells. Uh, Bill and a group of young adults went door-to-door in the community in Barrington, and they asked people, what would you like to see in a church, and what would you not like to see in a church? If someone said they were involved in a church, they thanked them and moved on quickly. But they heard from people things like, the church is always looking for money. And so Bill decided there wouldn't be an offering. They put plates in the back. Uh, People said things like, we find church services to be boring. And so Bill made it very upbeat. They met in, initially, a movie theater. Uh, The audience, if you will, was in darkness, and there were spotlights up front. Uh, It really was a sea of spectators. Bill admitted that it was not a worship service, but what he called an evangelistic event. But after 15 years, Bill Hybels said these words, There are many attenders at Willow Creek, but few adherents. Some decisions, but little discipleship. A lot of milling around, but little ministry or maturity. He felt that Willow Creek had largely been a disappointment and a failure. I think others might say otherwise, but one thing I will say, and that is that Bill and many others in the seeker-sensitive movement missed the very clear teaching of Scripture about God's prescription for church growth. God lays it out. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. Listen, for this is the word of God for us this morning. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together By every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. 
I think the message of this passage is simple but powerful, and it's this, that God's grace gifts are given to us, the church, in order to build up the body of Christ and to reach the world. In verse 7, Paul begins by saying, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The New Testament talks a great deal about spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Paul defines spiritual gifts. They are, he says, a manifestation of the Spirit of God for the common good. And he says, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every believer in Jesus Christ has been given spiritual gifts, and they're to be used for the good of others. Romans 12, verse 6, that Sloan read earlier says, <clears throat> Having gifts that differ, let us use them. Another aspect of spiritual gifts is that no two people are alike. Each one of us has different gifts, talents, and abilities that are given by God. And we are to use them. In this verse 7, Paul makes a play on words in Greek. That's the reason we go to seminary is so we can wild people the fact that we know Greek. Paul says, but grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. The word for grace in Greek is charis. And the word for gift is charismata. They are connected. Gifts could be called grace gifts. It's just like salvation. We can do nothing to earn or deserve salvation. It's a gift by faith in Christ and not by our good works. And the same thing is true of gifts. We don't do anything to earn or deserve them. God gives gifts as He wills. <clears throat> Excuse me. These two words, grace and gift, are related to another Greek word, kara, charis, charismata, kara, is the word for joy. God's gifts are meant to produce joy in the person using the gift and the ones who receive that ministry. One way of knowing whether you have a spiritual gift is to ask yourself the question, do I feel joy when I exercise this gift? And do other people feel joy? My first senior pastorate was in Pittsburgh, and there was a deeply committed Christian woman there named Sally Richards. And because she loved the Lord, she was asked to teach Sunday school, and usually was asked to teach a children's Sunday school because she had young children. She hated it. The kids were bored. She felt frustrated. And then we did a spiritual gift emphasis in our church, and I asked Sally if she would be the administrator because she believed she had gifts of organization. It is the single most effective program that I've ever run in the church. Why? Because of Sally. It ran like clockwork. People were able to identify their gifts. They were trained in how to use the gifts and then plugged into ministry. And it was all 
revolving around her gift of administration. I want to ask you an important question this morning. Do you know what spiritual gifts God has given you? If you don't, we have a tool for you. Uh, on Step Up Sunday, there will be a spiritual gift inventory that you can use. <clears throat> if you'd like to take it before then, just contact Stephanie and she can either uh, send it to you online or give you a hard copy. It's crucial, I believe, for every Christian to know what spiritual gifts God has given to him or her and to use them. Now, the book of Ephesians stresses some particular gifts here, but Romans, 1 Peter, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians lay out 19 different spiritual gifts, and I don't believe those are exhaustive. The gift of music isn't mentioned, and I believe that's a spiritual gift. The gift of writing, the gift of craftsmanship, manual artistic craftsmanship is highlighted in the Old Testament. But the spiritual gifts that Paul talks about here are foundational. They started the church. Do you know the single most effective way to reach new people for Christ in America? It's by starting a new church. Church plants draw unchurched people, unbelievers, much more than established churches. And of course, the New Testament was all about planting churches. It was brand new. And so Paul says that God gave the gift of apostle. That means one who is sent out like Paul. The gift of prophet. Agabus was a prophet in the New Testament. <clears throat> Excuse me. The gift of evangelist. Apollos was an evangelist. And God used those people to start churches. But once churches were established, he gave the shepherd slash teacher. Again, in Greek, it's one concept, pastor-teacher. What's the job of the pastor-teacher? That's an important question. Verse 12 lays it out very clearly. It's to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. George Barna and his research institute, I think the finest Christian research company going, says that at any given time in the American church, one out of four pastors is considering leaving the ministry. And do you know the major reason why? Burnout. Barna calls it the jack-of-all-trades syndrome. Pastors are expected to be evangelist, teacher, administrator, counselor, hospital chaplain, vision center, CEO, and in some churches, assistant custodian. Nobody is good at all of those roles. Why? Because we're given different spiritual gifts. Pastors, like church members, should concentrate in their area of giftedness. I believe my primary gifts are teaching and writing. And that God wants me to teach and to inspire others to use their gifts in ministry. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. 
There's a famous story about the Cotton Bowl. Back in 1954, this is ancient of days, and it'll sound even more old when I tell you the two teams, Rice University was the big dog. They were the powerhouse, and they were killing Alabama. Very different than today. A running back for Rice named Dickie Magel was just running roughshod over Alabama. He ran for 256 yards and for four touchdowns. On his fourth touchdown, he took off from his own 25-yard line and broke three for a 75-yard touchdown. However, when he reached the Alabama five-yard line, a guy ran off the bench named Tommy Lewis and tackled him. The refs, of course, gave Rice the touchdown. What was the problem with Tommy Lewis? He obviously had the right equipment. He knew how to make the tackle. He had the gift. But he wasn't in the game. I mentioned in the uh, Pulse teaser Bud Wilkinson's famous statement that the church is like a football game where 50,000 people who desperately need exercise watch 22 people who desperately need rest. We need to equip and then to deploy Christians in ministry. That is God's prescription for church growth. And as we use our gifts... God brings maturity to us as individuals and to the church. What does it mean to be a mature Christian? Again, he lays it out very clearly. A mature Christian attains to the unity of the faith. We talked about that last week. Immature Christians divide churches. Mature Christians use their gifts to bring people together. Mature Christians attain to the knowledge of the Son of God. How do we attain to the knowledge of the Son of God? Once again, very simple. This book is all about the Son of God. If you want to know Him, read about Him. Study the Word of God. I've had church members say to me more than a few times, I'm not much of a Bible student. And my response is very simple, one word, repent. That Greek word means a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. God's word is available. If you need a commentary, the library here is full of good commentaries on the Bible. Pick a book of the Bible. Study it and grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. You'll be better able to use your spiritual gifts when you know Christ more. And Paul says, as you attain to that knowledge, you will not be tossed around by every wind of doctrine that comes along. Do you know how they train treasury agents to detect counterfeit? They Put them through an intensive two weeks in which they handle currency eight hours a day. They're just handling money. And then after those two weeks, the teachers, the leaders, start to insert some counterfeit 
paper money into the mix. And the treasury agents can tell it right away because they're so used to the feel of the real thing. Well, the same thing is true with Christian truth. If you immerse yourself in the scriptures, in theology, you don't need to worry about studying the cults. You know the real thing, and you'll be able to detect what is counterfeit. The final thing Paul says in terms of Christian maturity, using our gifts to build up the body of Christ, is speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into Christ who is the head. John tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Jesus spoke the truth in love, and it changed lives. Let me give a couple examples. You have an unchurched friend. Speaking the truth in love might be something like this. Jenny, you are my dear friend, and I really care about you. I want you to understand the most important relationship in my life, my faith, my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to come to church with me so you could understand why Christ means so much. Unchurched friend, churched friend. Joe, you're my brother in Christ, and I am so thankful for you. But I want to encourage you to commit yourself to a Sunday school class or to a small group because I believe God would use that to help you grow in your faith. Speaking the truth in love, let us grow up in every way to Christ. There are so many other ways in which we can speak the truth in love. What does Jesus want you to do with your spiritual gifts to grow his church? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we praise you not just for your life, your death, your resurrection, but for your ascension into heaven where you resumed your place of authority at the right hand of the Father. And Lord, from that place of majesty, you decide what gifts we receive by your Holy Spirit. Lord, you are the sovereign one. You know what the church needs. And so you have poured out your gifts. You've said when the body's working properly, each member is doing its part. And so I pray today, Father, that this just wouldn't be listening to a sermon, an academic exercise, but instead a call to action that each person here would know the gifts you've given them, be trained in your scriptures in how to use those gifts to the most, and then to be involved in ministry, that your church would grow and that people would be drawn to faith in Christ. For we pray in his strong and blessed name.